If you will, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. That can be found on page 26 if you have uh, the ESV Pew Bible in front of you. Genesis chapter 28. Not as long as last week or the week before. Hear the words of the Lord. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus, Isaac sent Jacob away And he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife. Besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone, 
that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. And Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and I will give and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we have spoken of and prayed earlier, we, Lord, want to be aware of your presence. We know from Scripture that you have poured out your Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and your Holy Spirit resides in those of us Uh, who have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we study this word together, we pray that those of us who have that spirit, that your spirit would uh, stir us up. Father, for those who may be uh, apart from you, Father, that your spirit would come and, and open eyes and unstop ears, that they may experience your presence, perhaps for the first time. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week was a bit of a downer, uh, wasn't it? It was such a sad state, that Genesis 27. Almost no redemptive nature to chapter 27. Isaac is a bad father. Rebecca is a manipulative mother. Esau is an uh, ungrateful son. He's a violent brother. Jacob is deceptive and a pliable pawn. And we finish chapter 27, as it were, sort of gasping for air. This is just sad. This is the sad state of of family life. And we look at a passage like that, and we, we can see our own faults, our own failings in parenting and being a son or a daughter, and being a sibling, whatever our family life may look like, but we left last Sunday with the reminder of the gospel, the good news, that though our hearts may be twisted, God, through the work of his son on the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit applying grace to us, we are recipients of all the promises that are fulfilled in Jesus. And now we go from the blinding light of the gospel to the dimmer light of this story in Genesis, because Genesis really is teaching us so much. It is showing us our sin. It is showing us the grace of God, and it's reminding us of the salvific work of God through history. And so turning to Genesis chapter 28, we're asking about this Poor family. Where is their relief? It's just sadness upon sadness and heartache. Will the Lord take this mess and and abandon it because of the lack of righteousness? Or does he intervene in only the way that he can? Reminding us of hope and salvation that is out there for 
those who have perhaps broken our hearts, for those who continue to break our hearts as they continue to reject God. Or perhaps we see it as a a mirror of ourselves. Perhaps you are a person who has wandered out of the way. You've lost a sense of who God made you to be. And we get this helpful and beautiful reminder of the nature of God and his desire for his people as we see the grace and the mercy of God breaking into such tragic and dark situation. Because in Genesis 28, the cloud seems to be lifting from our previous chapter. We we see the evidence of the grace of God working in this family, beginning to work in this family. We have Isaac and Rebecca are speaking with one another, something we didn't see until the end when it was too late in the last chapter. They seem to be taking responsibility for uh, the consequences of their past actions. There appears to be a, a new spirit in Isaac as he passes on the blessing of Abraham to Jacob. And we begin to taste and see the, that work of God here in this family. And there's three observations for us uh, in this passage. I didn't have time to send the, uh, the points, uh, so they're not going to be on the screen. But if you're writing things down, uh, then you can do that. Our first point is something we've already talked about quite a bit this morning. What began the transformation in the life of Jacob was this revelation of God's awesome presence. God's awesome presence. Jacob lies down, and he has this dream of a a ladder coming down from heaven with angels ascending and descending. It's the opposite of the Tower of Babel. Right? The Tower of Babel was from the ground up. It was, it was man's attempt to show his own strength, to show his ingenuity, to, to build to the sky and, and be boastful and prideful and, and essentially climb up into the heavens and, and tear God from his throne and ascend to the throne uh, as mankind. But instead, here is this ladder or staircase from heaven down to earth. It was God's own construction, God's building, and it's coming down to us. And the impressive nature of the angels ascending and descending on it and the presence of God, we we read in verse 13 that it's not just the ladder and the angels, but it is God himself who is over all of this. And so we now have another theophany, right? An encounter with the living God. We've had this now with Abraham. We've had this with Isaac. And now we have it for Jacob. And that is why Jacob renames the town in which he's fallen asleep. is called Luz, and he changes it to Bethel, the house of God, because there he was conscious, conscious of the presence of God. And he even says, I wasn't even aware of this before, but now the Lord has uh, revealed himself to me and he's shown that he is present here. 
as far as we can tell, again, in the life of Jacob, this is a, this is a new thing for him. This is often the first sign that God is beginning a good work in a life, is it not? I wonder if you all have experienced this in your own life. You, you, you have this consciousness of the presence of the Lord. You, you can't describe it. You don't, you don't know how to articulate it. Uh, you're not necessarily having a, a dream of a ladder, perhaps, uh, but something strikes you, something different, and, and you, you recognize it, not just that it's the, that it's the Lord, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, that he's out there, uh, but as both Paul and Bruce have pointed out this morning, there's a, an intimacy, there's a, a nearness that is felt. He's not just you know, the God of, of the Old Testament who feels so far off, he's, he's near, he's with you. Uh, for most people, this is the chief thing when it comes to worship. When they become conscious of that real presence of God, that he's revealing his awesome presence. And even though Jacob is a grown man here, spiritually speaking, he's still a child. He did not yet know the Lord. He couldn't. He was not yet conscious of his presence. And here's the Lord graciously revealing himself. And I think this is such a great lesson for us, that the single greatest sign of God beginning to move in us, whether it is us as individuals or us as a people, is when we become conscious of his presence. I thought what Paul was saying was so helpful, that he's always present with us, but we're not always feeling that consciousness of it, right? And there's that time where we're, we're made conscious of it, and there's time when we're going to the Word and we're, we're seeking, what is the Lord speaking to me? And you hear that still small voice of the Lord speaking to you through his Word. And not just just not just his presence, but is the awesomeness of his presence with his people. That's our first observation, the consciousness of his presence. Now Esau, he never appears to have the consciousness of the presence of the Lord, does he? I mean, I almost was going to skip over it, but 6 through 9, verses 6 through 9 is really, it's so sad and it's such a sad indictment. What is Esau pursuing? He, he, he realizes, I don't know how, but he realizes that, oh, these Canaanite women have not been pleased, uh, do not please my parents. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to please his parents. He's not trying to please the Lord. He's not trying to uh, 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 rectify a relationship with God. He just wants to bless his father. Why? As we saw last week, he, he's looking for material blessing only. And so what does he do? He thinks, well, I'll marry on my father's side of the family. And so he goes to Ishmael, the son who wasn't chosen, right? Ishmael and Abraham. And he marries from Ishmael's side of the family. But what is he doing? He's only bringing more disaster, more hardship into his own life, into the family life. He's trying to please man and not God. And he's reaping a harvest of that. Even thinking as Bruce was going through in the prayer, thinking through Genesis and, and, and the work in the garden. But what is it that, that, you know, Adam and Eve feel the presence of the Lord 
But when do they not? It's after the fall. And what do they do? They go into hiding. They're hiding from the presence of the Lord because they are fearful of the presence of the Lord. And here we are as believers in the 21st century, and we are craving the presence of the Lord, right? And it is with us at all times. We have that awareness, and we rejoice in it. Second, we have a reaffirmation of God's covenant promise. God's covenant promise. Jacob has a dream. He hears a voice, uh, the voice of God. But what did God say to him? He reaffirmed his promise to Abraham. Now, I wonder if you're picking up on this. Did you hear it? Did you hear it in the reading? God promised that his presence would go with Jacob, that he will never lack anything, he will provide for him, and that he will restore him, he will bring him back. Does any of that language sound familiar? It's Psalm 23. I will lack nothing. He will provide me with all I need. He will be with me in the darkest valley, and he will restore my life. The, the 23rd Psalm, though it is yet to be written at this historical juncture, but the, the 23rd Psalm has begun to work in Jacob's life. The true shepherd is, is revealed himself to this patriarch, and it's at this point we stop and we ask, Surely, Lord, surely there's a better candidate than this. We already know the story of Jacob, right? From our Bible lessons as children and growing up. But imagine hearing this for the first time, you would say, surely, Lord, there's a more honorable person in the world, anywhere in the world. Surely, Lord, there's someone who has it more together or at least maybe comes from a better family. This is the Jacob who, is, who has been the trickster. His name means trickster, deceiver. This is the boy who took advantage of his brother's stupidity and the brother who, who, the son who, who took advantage of his father's blindness. He, he's capable of deceiving anyone to get ahead. And we want to say, isn't there anyone else? I remember when I was in school, and I can't remember what class... It was in, but they had a big celebration at the end of the school year, and they were giving out awards, uh, too many awards these days. Um, but I remember they were giving out this award, an Academic Excellence Award. And they read the name, and the name sort of sh shocked all the students because they read the name of the student who we all knew was cheating on his homework uh, uh, was cutting every corner, it, it, you know, well, not even trying to hide it, really. And they read his name. What a scandal. This is a scandal. <laughs> recount. I want to recount. <laughs> recount these votes. Someone has, he probably stole the election. <laughs> oh, that might be a little too on the nose. It's a scandal. That this duplicitous boy, Jacob, with all of his arrogance, with all of his pride, would be chosen as the recipient of grace? For you see, beloved, 
if we miss out on how scandalous this story is, then we really miss the point of all of this passage and the point of this story. This is scandalous that God should fulfill his purposes through a man like this. And yet, you see, grace is always scandalous, is it not? There's something scandalous about this fact that in order to save me, the Son of God was crucified on a cross that in order to save you, the, the, the Son of Man had to hang? It's scandalous that the only way that any of us would be saved, that instead of pouring out the wrath of God on those of us who, who deserve it, he pours it out on his Son. There's something scandalous about the gospel that's the message that we take out to the world. That, that is the message that we preach to ourselves over and over. It's what we read and it's what we sing Sunday after Sunday. And we see the connection between this particular dream of Jacob and the work of Jesus in John chapter 1. When, if you'll remember, Jesus he tells Nathanael that he saw him sitting under the fig tree. Nathanael is so amazed at this that he professes a faith. And Jesus says, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, Jacob is getting a picture of this glorious reaffirmation of God's promise that will come to fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, coming down the ladder from heaven, not man by his own works, uh, trying to achieve and build and, 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 and attain to whatever God desires. No, no, no. It's that he comes down to us in humility. And not just coming down a ladder, but essentially, in some sense, stretched across a ladder for the pardon of our sins. So there is a revelation of the awesome presence of God, and there is a reaffirmation of the covenant promise Thirdly, there is a gracious restoration of this wayward patriarch. Yes, this is, this is only the beginning. What we will see in the rest of the story of Jacob, and I find it interesting that this keeps happening to us, but next week is getting close to Valentine's, right? It's the closest, and we're going to be looking at uh, Rachel and Leah and Jacob, which will be very interesting. Um, so hold tight. What, what, what we see in the rest of the story of Jacob is the way in which God is slowly untwisting the knot of Jacob's twisted heart. But for now, Jacob, for the first time, fears God. He, he, he has a, a reverence and a trust he, he has a joy in God's presence. 
He says, this is the gate of heaven. And he re-consecrates himself to the Lord. You say, re-consecrates? Yes, because he was originally consecrated at his circumcision by his parents. Just as many of us were baptized when we were infants, that did not save us. He was circumcised by his parents, but his heart is still twisted. But now the Lord is bringing him back. He's, he's opening up. He, he's yielding. Is it perfect? Not really. His thinking is still upside down. I mean, listen to what he says. If the Lord will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and give me bread and clothing, then I'll follow you and I'll give back to you. So he's responding to the unconditional promise of God with his own conditions. I mean, it just, to us, it seems ridiculous. He's a long way off. But isn't that how so many of us were? And perhaps even are still. We sense the presence of the Lord and we get a taste of his promises and we still know so little about him. We still misunderstand him. I think many Christians today with the attitudes that I see toward other believers online and otherwise would be those who would say, Lord, move on from that stupid man, Jacob. He thinks he can bargain with you. He's only in it for the prosperity. And yet, once again, we are reminded of yet another grace of God. That God bestows that patriarchal promise of land and prosperity to Jacob despite his weak faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that anyone may boast. Genesis chapter 28 has been uh, such a refreshing reminder to me, uh, even in recent days, as I have been connected with several people who are lost and struggling in different ways to, to different degrees. And I've needed to be reminded that my concepts of what I believe to be uh, uh, right and just are not always correct. I like order. I, I like neat and tidy boxes uh, to put people and ministries into a box and, and, and categorize them and be content to just leave them there. But God always amazes me. Who would have put a person like Rosaria Butterfield in, into a category of enemy and left her there? Right? Lesbian, writing all the curriculum and, and all the material for the LGBTQ plus community at Syracuse University, but someone took the time, someone took the time to open up a dialogue with her. And now she's helping Christians reform their, their understanding of hospitality. Who would have put Lee Strobel in the category of enemy, right? Atheist, Chicago Tribune, Gosh, just living in Chicago. 
<laughs> Someone's going to be visiting from Chicago, I'm sure. Right? I mean, I, I, I was able to sit down and interview him last week, right? Anti-God, anti-all of it, all of the good things, right? Now he reaches countless millions with his investigative work into the life of Christ. Who would have written off so many of the prodigals that we know? who went far afield, cursing all that had been given to them, only to be brought back by the hand of God, by the grace of God. Here is Jacob getting so much wrong in chapter 27, deceiving, lying, my goodness, blaspheming. And yet God reveals himself to him. And now a journey of undoing begins. And it will be a painful journey, but it will be a journey that Jacob will never regret. He'll never look back on it and say, I wish that the Lord had never revealed himself to me. Just as many of you can tell of the journey that God has sent you on. Whether you grew up in a covenant home or not, that, that he, he drew you out of your twisted life and, and, and graciously began the untwisting, the unwarping. Wouldn't it be great if church was a place where we set out to live lives that exhibited grace to one another, where the lost could come in from anywhere, and find within these walls a community of people who recognize what we have been saved from and what we have been saved to and lovingly come alongside others no matter where they are on their journey, even if they don't understand and, and say things like Jacob does. Beth El, the house of God, the, re the reunion of heaven and earth fulfilled in the Son of Man. And if you want to look at it from an eschatological perspective, an end times perspective, right? It's come here in part, and there's the already and the not yet. It hasn't reached its consummation. It hasn't been finished. That's the day we're looking forward to. That's why our hearts are burdened and anguished when we see all the hatred and animosity between people, especially in churches, between believers. Our, our hearts long for the restoration. We long for to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Communion of God's people with their Lord. And all of it, beloved, all of it, because of the grace of God. That's why it's good that we get to sing that song again. So as we sing it again, when the band comes up to play, take a moment and think about the words that we're singing, about what grace looks like, how we have been recipients of this grace. And now we are to be those who go out graciously with the love of Christ Proclaiming the good news. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you make us aware of that presence, not only through your word, but it, it, it's something that we can, we can feel it in our, in our hearts. And so, Lord, we're asking that as we have that time of nearness with you, the creator, everlasting, almighty Lord, we, we feel a nearness with that same God. And Father, we have been such recipients of this grace. What a scandalous grace it is. And so, Father, we pray that as we walk out of this place, that because we've got that nearness of your presence and we've, got the, we, we've been recipients of that grace, we, we can act in particular ways to those we love, those that are with us in Christ, and, and Father, even those who perhaps look like our enemies. As we see how Jacob will interact with his brother Esau later on, that we can be bold, that we can be loving, that we can be gracious, for we know that we're looking forward to the day when heaven and earth are truly met through the return of your Son. And so there's nothing on this earth that holds us here. Father, send us out of this place with a right mindset, with the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.